We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Let's look again at the first few verses. Tonight we're going to cover verses 4 through 7. So let's read the word together and then we will jump into it. Though I speak with tongues of men and angels, but do not have love, I've become a sounding brass or a, a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mystery and knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy, love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, love never fails. Now keep a finger there and turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. We see a prophecy by Paul that comes from the Holy Spirit about future perilous times. What is the sign of these perilous times? Is culture becomes loveless. Culture does not have the love of God. The hearts of men and women have grown cold. See if this rings a bell or if this resonates with you. This is 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. But know this. That in the last days, perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God having a form of godliness, but denying its power. And from such people, turn away. I don't know for sure that we're living in these last days, but it sure sounds like it, doesn't it? We're closer than we've ever been before. Jesus told us, also talking about signs of the end, in Matthew 24, he says, many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. This will happen leading up to the second coming of Christ is that the love of many will grow cold. So we need to be careful. We need to be on guard that our love doesn't grow cold, that we don't become lovers of ourselves and lovers of money, but truly be lovers of God. So let's pray together. Father, we do see that we're getting closer to the end, closer to when you, Jesus, are gonna return. And so many people's hearts are, growing cold. We know that our heart is in jeopardy of growing cold. So God, we just pray that there would be a move of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Holy Spirit, we welcome you here tonight. We desperately don't want this just to be another service or gaining an academic understanding of love, but we desire to be broken over the condition of our own hearts and to really grow in the expression of love. So, Father, we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Tonight, we're going to study the 15 descriptions of love. First, we're going to look at what love is, that love is patient and love is kind. 
And then there's eight descriptions of what love is not. That love doesn't boast and love is not envious. Then we're going to see what love does. That love bears all things and love believes all things and love endures all things. A caveat for tonight's study is please do not think this is really needed for culture. Please don't think, I hope my spouse is listening. Or I hope my children are are listening. Oh my goodness, my mom sure needs to hear this study. But for us to examine our own hearts before God, to say, Lord, where is the condition of my heart when it comes to love? Hopefully you were able to listen last week Because last week we really focused on God's love for us, expressed in the Father giving us his only begotten Son. Are we fully convinced that God loves us? Has there been any progress this week in knowing that you're loved by God, that nothing can separate you from the love of God? Has your roots gone deeper into God's love? Because it's really in knowing God's love that then we're able to express God's love to others. This week, we're going to start to look at, well, what does it mean for me to love in this way? What does it mean for the fruit of love to be manifested in my life towards others? Verse 4, love suffers long. Love is patient. This is the description of love. Love endures. This is the way that God loves us. God is so patient with us. He's so so long-suffering with us. In fact, this is what was frustrating to Jonah about God. He knew that God was going to be long-suffering and gracious and merciful to the Ninevites. The Ninevites, being Assyrians, were brutal enemies to the Israelites, had tortured them and captured them. The last thing he wanted was for his enemies to be forgiven by God. He was ready to bring judgment on the Ninevites, and God was ready to bring forgiveness and redemption. Many times we're appreciative of the fact that God is long-suffering in our lives, that he's patient with us. Aren't you glad God's patient with you? Aren't you glad you've got a heavenly father that's patient with you? But yet we want him to quickly bring his judgment upon others, like Jonah. Or we get frustrated that God has been so gracious when from our perspective, it it would seem that it's necessary that God would bring judgment. We get to express God's love to others when we suffer long with them, when we bear with them, when we endure with them, when we're patient uh, with them. Jesus was patient with the disciples. Jesus loves us with this kind of patience. We see Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration with Peter, James, and John. A wonderful time, a glorious time. And they get down back to where the rest of the disciples were. And the disciples were not able to cast out a demon because of their lack of faith. And Jesus expressed to them, How long shall I, I bear with you, you wicked and perverse generation? He, he was grieved over their, their lack of faith. Guys, I've been walking with you for this time, but yet Jesus was still willing to suffer long on their behalf, to be patient on their behalf. Peter would fail and fail and fail, and yet Christ was long-suffering with him. Jesus went to the, the cross for him. This is what love is. This is what love does. As God has gotten a hold of our lives with his love, we sign up to 
suffer long with one another, to be patient with our families and our co-workers, to be patient with the body of Christ, to understand that the church is redeemed sinners that falls short instead of being critical to say, I'm willing to suffer long. So love is long-suffering. Love is patient. But also, love is kind. <laughs> love is kind. Kindness has great impact, and it goes so far, doesn't it? A kind word, a kind look, a kind listening ear, a kind helping hand. We probably can remember, can count on our hand, the times where someone has been genuinely kind to us. How that impacted us. Could be as small as some chocolate chip cookies. That's a kindness we all enjoy. Amen? Right? Kindness. Lo love is kind. It's fun and enjoyable to be around kind people. We're attracted to kind people. Jesus was fierce about the truth, but he was also contagious in his kindness. Imagine how Jesus would look at people and smile at people. His kindness was what drew children to come to sit on his lap. Kids watch people, even young kids, and they can see, hey, this person's not kind. I'm not, I'm not approaching them, but they're drawn to kindness, and they could see the kindness in Jesus, and they were comfortable with coming and sitting on his lap. The kindness in which Jesus looked at the woman who was caught in adultery and says, where are your accusers? Neither do I accuse you. Go your way and sin no more. It's the kindness of Jesus as he was hanging upon the cross that he looked at those who crucified them and said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. We are recipients of Christ's kindness. We are recipients of Christ's grace. There's so much stress pulling on all of us. It's very easy for kindness to go out the door. On Monday, on my day off, Amber and I were, were right here on the other side of the church wall donating some things to Goodwill, just some things that we were getting rid of. We pull into the place here to drop things off, and it's busy because their hours are limited, 10 to 2. That's the only time you can drop stuff off at Goodwill. So there was a line of three or four cars. We're waiting our turn, and one of our friends, a lady from the church, was a couple vans up, and she turns to head out, and we see her. She, she sees us, and we wave. We both roll down our windows, having a brief conversation. Here comes a lady right here, and she gets so angry that she's having to wait. And she just lays on her horn, like, like, like really lays on her horn. And all this anger and hatred that came over her face. And then she goes by Amber and I, and we're just in the line waiting to drop off stuff. And she flips us off, right? Just, and, it was, and it wasn't so much the act of getting flipped off, but it was just the anger and the hatred on her face, like, I think if she could have had the opportunity to get out of the car and beat us, she would have, right? And there was room for she could have just gone around, or she could have waited, or she could have honked nicely. But I don't know what was going on in her life, right? Maybe she's lost her job. 
Maybe she's going through marital troubles. Maybe one of her kids are really sick. Maybe she grew up in an abusive home. She doesn't know who Christ is. I'm sure she's got a story. I'm sure that God wants to do a work in her life, right? And yet, it's so easy to get to that place, isn't it? And I'm not bringing that up in condemnation of her in any way, because I know in my own life, I, I can get to a place where I'm not acting in kindness. I'm not expressing the love of God in, in kindness. Kindness right now is extremely needed. It's a, a way that God would use us to love unbelievers and build up the, the body of Christ. Love is kind. It has great impact. Love does not envy. So if you're taking notes, we've seen what love is, and now we see what love does not do. There's eight things that love doesn't do. And first, love does not envy. It's easy for us to rack and stack sin or rate sin and to not think of envy as very bad. Sexual sin, anger, lust, greed, oh, those, are, those are hideous. But envy, oh, that's not that big of a deal. It's not that big of a deal if I'm envious of, of others. It was envy that led the religious leaders to crucify Jesus. Jealousy. They were jealous of the attention that Jesus got. They were envious of the fact that he was receiving the following that they used to have. Saul, the reason that he tried to kill David was because of envy. Saul was the man. He was the king. He was the hotshot. So here comes David, who was willing to take on Goliath in faith. There was a hit song on Spotify. David has killed his thousands, and Saul has Saul's killed his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. The women would sing that. Whenever Saul heard that song, he would get jealous and he would get envious. To the point where he decides he's going to try to kill David. Picks up a spear and he throws it, he hurls it at David, trying to kill him. Does that on two occasions. David shows great love, great self-control, doesn't return evil for evil. David was much better with weapons than Saul was. I think if David would have picked up that spear and thrown it back, he wouldn't have missed. Agreed? I think he would have been able to finish the job. But that envy is what got David to that place, or Saul to that place, where he tried to kill David. Envy is going to torment your soul more than anyone else's. Because when we're envious or we're jealous— we're lacking to be able to be thankful and enjoy what God has provided in our lives. So if I'm envious of the car that somebody else drives, or the home that somebody else has, or the way that God uses this particular individual, or the gifts that God has given to them, saying, why can't my story be their story? Why is my story hard and their story is easy and I'm, I'm envious of them? And this can creep into our hearts. We can be envious towards unbelievers, we can be envious towards believers. Jesus was not envious in his love for us. Jesus rejoiced with those as they were blessed. Love doesn't parade itself. Love is not boastful. This is the idea of, of parading ourselves, is, is being boastful. We think in the Old Testament, the book of Esther. Esther's uncle is Mordecai. 
And Mordecai is in this position of leadership, and he warns the king about this plot to kill him. The king wants to honor Mordecai. He comes to Haman and he says, if I wanted to honor somebody, how would I do it? And Haman thinks, well, the king wants to honor me. So he goes, well, let's make a parade and march this person through the city and let this person, everybody know what this person has done. And it turns out the king wanted to honor Mordecai, not Haman, and Haman hated Mordecai. But Haman was so proud that he was thinking, yeah, th- this is about me. And love doesn't do that. Love doesn't parade itself. The Proverbs tells us and encourages us, let somebody else praise you. Let someone else's mouth praise you. If you've ever sat down with somebody that only talks of their accomplishments for the whole entire dinner and never asks you how you're doing, how much fun is that? How loved do you feel by the end of that conversation where you're like, man, I think I could write their resume. I've heard so much about them in the last hour and a half. I I could put together a resume made for them. Love doesn't do that. Love doesn't parade itself. And love's not puffed up. This is being prideful. This is being arrogant. Pride is what causes us to be puffed up. Isn't that an amazing description of pride? Pride causes us to be inflated. They say that the problem with pride is the person who is infected with this disease is the only one that doesn't know it. Other people can spot pride in our lives, but we sometimes can't see the pride in our own lives. And love is not prideful. Jesus was not prideful. Jesus did not parade himself. He could have. He had every reason to boast, but instead he came humbly on a donkey. He served as a carpenter. He washed feet. He was humiliated upon the cross. True greatness is not in pride, but true greatness is in serving. Pride comes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. This is one for us to pray through. Is this maybe why love is not being expressed in my life is because of pride. Pride will oftentimes be the gateway to many other sins. Verse 5, love does not behave rudely. Can you imagine Jesus just being flat out rude? (laughs) He, He wasn't rude. He's not rude. When we're being rude, we're not being loving. Unfortunately, we can be the most rude to those that we love the most. This has always broken my heart, right? I have the potential to treat those that I love the most with the greatest capacity of rudeness. There's probably an element element of respect that you would give to a stranger, but sometimes we won't give that same level of respect to those that are in our immediate families because we've taken them for granted. We've stepped over boundaries that we should have never stepped over, and we have started to behave rudely. Love edifies, love builds up. When we behave rudely, it's the opposite of love. Love does not seek its own. Where selfishness exists, there's every evil thing. In James 3.16, it says, For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. What really blocks love? What really keeps us from expressing love, from living out love, of choosing that action of love? 
to taking the love that God has given to us and freely sharing it with others, it's selfishness. Selfishness is going to declare to me, declare to you, no, you really don't want to do that. You don't want to serve your wife. You don't want to serve your husband. You don't, you don't want to serve your neighbor because you need some time for yourself. You need Eric time. It's team Eric time. Yeah, that sounds good. I need me time. So I'm not going to choose to serve this other person because love costs us something. It costs us time. It costs us energy. We go, no, I don't want to invest that time. I don't want to invest that energy. I'm going to use that for myself instead of using that to benefit others. And yes, there's an appropriate time for rest. And there's an appropriate time for, for boundaries. But if we're honest, we go, yeah, it's my selfishness that gets in the way. It's my selfishness that is keeping me from really expressing love to those, those around me. What really destroys marriages? Marriages are under extra strain right now. What really destroys families? It's selfishness. That's the core of the conflict. That's what James is expressing here. And every evil thing is at play when selfishness is at the center. But the opposite's true. If we deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow Christ, the Holy Spirit can move. The love of God can flow through us. That's why Jesus encouraged us and challenged us to daily take up our cross, to, to daily surrender that selfishness to him so that we can express love uh, to others. Why is there a breakdown in our culture right now? Because of selfishness. Love doesn't seek its own. Love is not provoked. This is a hard one. They're all hard, but this one's exceptionally hard. Why? Because this is saying when someone pushes your button, you don't respond negatively. You don't respond in sin. You don't allow yourself to be provoked. Well, wait a second. They pushed my button. They knew where my button was, and they pushed it. Right? And the reality of this is sometimes inside a family, and kids are masters at this, is we all have buttons like an elevator, right? And sometimes children will push one button, but they're so good at this skill over time, they'll just come up and go, Dad, I'm going to push all your buttons right now. <laughs> Floors 1 through 12, right? If you're not careful, you know your spouse well enough where you can just decide, I'm going to push all their buttons right now. I'm an expert at knowing exactly how to get them, right? If you work long enough with someone, a coworker, you've studied their behavior, and you're like, oh, man, I can, I can get them on this. I know where to, where to push their buttons. So love goes, hey, you're pushing my button, you're provoking me, but I'm not going to respond in anger. I'm not going to return evil for evil. I'm going to bless instead of curse. What this really is is we're removing the button. Love removes the button and says, I'm not going to respond in evil even though you're pushing my buttons. We want to make excuses. We want to say, because you pushed my button, then I can act in sin. I can act in anger. But God says, love is not provoked. Once again, Jesus lived this out because as he was crucified, he was treated with the utmost evil but yet he didn't respond in evil. He responded in blessing. Thinks no evil. Church, press in. I know that we're midway through the study. It's, it's easy to kind of lose track mentally, but we're 
the enemy really wants to get us to fall off the love wagon, if you would, to stop loving people is in our minds. Satan is the accuser of the brethren, which means he's always pointing out our flaws, but he's wanting us to also focus on the flaws of those around us. So our flesh and the enemy wants us to look at our spouse, look at our church, look at our community, and see all of the things that are rotten, all of the things that are sinful, all the things that are flawed, and before you know it, that's the treadmill of your mind that you're going over. And you're focusing on their faults, you're focusing on how they've hurt you, focusing on how they weren't there for you, how they didn't love you, how they didn't care for you. I don't know why they rate Colorado Springs in the top three places to live in the country. Have they seen the potholes? Have they seen the weeds? The city doesn't even mow the weeds. I can't even find a flower that's been planted by the city, right? Sales tax is 8.25%, and what are we getting for it, and where's the police? And I've spent too much time on this, (laughs) right? You just get to this place even with your own community where... You're thinking evil towards your community. You're thinking evil towards your family. You're thinking evil towards, towards your church. And love doesn't do that. that. We're not acting in a loving way when we do that. And what the scripture is confronting is our minds. This is the opposite of the helmet of salvation. The helmet of salvation guards our minds where we're thinking thoughts of salvation. I'm saved by grace. They're saved by grace. God wants to save them by grace. Every thought is flowing through the filter of of the blood of Jesus. Is there a particular person that you find yourself bent on thinking evil towards? And God would encourage you tonight in love to say, begin to think thoughts of Christ towards that person. Love thinks no evil. Love does not rejoice in iniquity. Love understands the destructive nature of sin. God has said that sin is forbidden because sin will destroy our lives. Sin is a wrecking ball on our lives, so love's not going to rejoice in iniquity. It's not going to take joy in sin. But love rejoices in the truth. Love rejoices in the truth. We have to understand that there is a different definition of love biblically than culturally. Culture is into love as well. Culture would say, oh, that's so good that love is your anthem, Rocky Mountain Calvary. That really does have to be our banner. That has to be our marching orders. But the cultural definition of love will be the absent of truth. There's no absolute truths. There's no right and wrongs. There's not one way to get to heaven. It's so narrow that you would think that Jesus is the only way to heaven. They would even begin to look at what the Bible says and say, well, the Bible is not loving. This is not a loving book at all. But God came to give us abundant life and his truth sets us free. So please understand that love is not a departure from truth, but love is married to truth. Love rejoices in the truth. So as we love one another, we're going to share the truth with one another because truth is equally lined up with love. Love rejoices in the truth. 
Now more than ever, we need to be in the truth of God's word. You got to know it for yourself. You got to read it for yourself. Study it. Memorize it. Allow the Holy Spirit to illuminate it in your heart and your life. Verse 7, love bears all things. Love bears all things. I'm amazed as I get to watch the body of Christ bear all things in love. It's amazing to me sometimes to watch a spouse care for their husband or their wife who their, their health has, has failed them. And the spouse that does have their health just bears that in Christ and, and cares for their spouse. And it's not a burden to them, it's, it's a joy to them. To watch a, a parent care for a child who's born with severe disability and never able to walk, never able to talk, never able to feed themselves, never be able to use the restroom. And that parent chooses to serve that child and bear that in love. It's not a burden. It's hard, but it's not a burden that they're, they're willing to, to do that. And God calls us to bear all things in loving each other. One of the misnomers I think that happens in marriage and family is that we forget that we're all sinners. <laughs> we forget that two sinners get married. If they have kids, they give birth to sinners, right? And part of marriage is you're going to bear with one another. Amber gets to see my sin up close and personal. And God's working on me and sanctifying me and changing me. But guess what? When I go to the grave... I'm going to go to the grave a sinner. And so she get, is bearing with me. I get, to, I get to bear with her, right? And as we are in relationship with believers, as we're in these connect groups and fellowship groups, you're going to get to know each other's sin. And sometimes that hurts. But this is love. Love bears all things. Love is willing to say, I'm going to continue to be committed to you even though there is sin in your life. I'm going to walk alongside of you. This isn't condoning sin or not addressing sin and confronting sin in biblical love, but this is choosing to, to bear all things. Is there an aspect for some relationship that you're in where you're saying, I'm just getting out because it's too difficult. I'm getting out because it's, it's too hard. Where love is saying, hey, it's time to bear. It's time to continue to, to walk with this person. Love believes all things. Love believes all things. This is the opposite of thinking evil. This is truly thinking the best of someone else. It's giving them the benefit of the doubt. It's trusting them. Say, I'm going to choose to think the best of you instead of thinking the worst of you. To have that in mind, to believe all things. Love hopes all things. This is the, the expectation of coming good. Hoping, believing that change is coming in someone's life. And then love endures all things. This is applicable for us. I think we're getting tested in our endurance. I never thought that all of this with COVID would last this long into August 1st. My prediction was like, June 15th, open up the church doors, everything's going to be back to normal, couple months and gangbusters, right? Not, not, the, not the case. It's going to be long. It is long. It's a, it's a test of our endurance, right? And there's times in our lives where 
our endurance gets tested. But we don't know what's on the backside of this challenge with COVID. What if there's a spiritual revival that takes place, right? And the challenges that we face in our lives to say, I'm not going to give up. I'm going to endure. Love endures all things. And then love never fails. I was wrestling with this question in my own heart. Is what does it take to actually grow in the expression of love? Love being our anthem, so important. Wouldn't it be great if Rocky Mountain Calvary was known for understanding the love of God and expressing the love of God? Or when people heard of Rocky Mountain Calvary in the community, they'd go, man, Rocky Mountain Calvary's known for love. The way they love each other, the way they love the community. What would be the, the reputation of Rocky Mountain Calvary in the community? I hope it's the love of God. I hope that we have that privilege of bringing the love of God to those that don't know Christ as their Savior. What would be the testimony of our family? Would it be one of love? What would be the testimony of our marriages? What, what would be the testimony of our singleness? Is it, is it love? Because what I don't want in my life is to spend time studying 1 Corinthians 13 and going, well, that's nice. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love doesn't boast. Love doesn't envy. Love endures all things. Let's go home and watch the Hallmark Channel. Oh, that was, that was so nice. Wasn't that a nice message from Pastor Eric? Oh, man. <laughs> right? I don't want that. I want to grow in love. I want to grow in the understanding that God loves me, but then also grow in the expression of love. So what's the hindrance? What's the roadblock? What's really going to cause God's word to have traction in our lives come Tuesday and come Thursday, and for there to be change, and for love to really begin to be lived out in our lives in, in a greater way. And first, I think it's looking at our own lives and not looking at someone else's life and allowing the Holy Spirit to begin to get in there and go, yeah, there's some envy in your heart that's preventing you from loving. There's some bitterness in your heart that's turned into resent, and now you're thinking evil towards this person, and that needs to be rooted out. There's some selfishness there. There's not going to be breakthroughs in your marriage until that selfishness is dealt with in heart and life. And allow the Lord to search us and know us and reveal things to us. And be broken before God. God, forgive me. Lord, forgive me for being selfish. Forgive me for this, this lack of love. If love is this important and without love I'm just a clanging symbol, can take steps of faith, but it's nothing if I don't have love. I can give all this amount of money and make tremendous sacrifice, but if there's no love, it, it's nothing. And, and Lord, where have I missed it? Where have I missed it with you because there's this lack of love in my life? Because Jesus told us if, if we love God, we're going to love one another. We want to separate the two. We want to go, God, I love you, but I don't really like people. <laughs> And God's saying, no, if you, you love me, you're going to love people. You're going to love me. I'm not an expert on this, but 
from my understanding, when there's been spiritual revival, there's been an explosion of God's love. God's love came into people's lives where it began to overflow to others, and they started to love in a God-ordained way, a way that we can't manufacture, a way that we can't produce. And this comes before brokenness before God and repentance before God and saying, Lord, I've missed it, and I've missed it with you, and I would desire that you would cause me to love in a greater way. And as we're broken before the Lord and relying upon the Lord, because Jesus said that he's the vine, we're the branches, that we can't bear fruit apart from him. So more hard work from us is not going to result in this amazing agape love, this kind of love that only God possesses, but it's absolutely possible as we're connected into Jesus, as we're abiding in Jesus, as we're following Jesus. Jesus calls us to follow him, for him to be the Lord of our lives, where we're saying, I'm going to follow you. And as we're abiding in him, in obedience and in fellowship, then this love begins to be produced in our lives. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Allowing the Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us and convict us to where we're saying, Lord, I, I want to learn to walk in the Spirit. What does it mean to walk in the Spirit? We've been talking about this manifestation of the Spirit, of the gifts being used in the body of Christ. Well, what's that going to look like? It's going to look like the more excellent way that Paul's describing. The Spirit of God is going to lead us in love. To walk in the Spirit is for God to then lead us in this direction of saying, you need to express love. It's time to be patient with this person. It's time to be kind to, to this person. It's time to stop thinking evil towards, towards this person. Had the opportunity to do a memorial service today for a friend, Chuck Moon, 69 years old. Attended RMC for years and always ushered at the nine o'clock service. I learned something about Chuck's life that was fascinating today. He's sixth grade, doesn't know how to read. Sixth grade teacher calls him in front of the classroom, has him read out loud. He's struggling. He can't do it. The teacher begins to laugh at him. The kids begin to laugh at him. And the teacher puts a, a dunce cap on Chuck and has him go sit in the corner of the room. Sixth grade. His mom hears of this. She's the parent of the PTA society. Goes to the principal. She's irate. The principal says he's going to have to suck it up and deal with it. This family doesn't know the Lord. Chuck doesn't know the Lord. Chuck's parents don't know the Lord. There's a family of seven, seven kids. Chuck's one of seven. The mom gets so frustrated with this principal in this school that she's going to go find a teacher that can help her son learn how to read. She finds a Christian school. The kids go to this Christian school. It's through the love of God manifested in that Christian school that Chuck came to know the Lord. Some of his siblings came to know the Lord. His parents came to know the Lord. His dad is 96 and still living and knows the Lord. And it was the love of God in this Christian school that brought this whole entire family to come to know the Lord. Chuck's dyslexic. 
Chuck went on to get a degree in mechanical engineering. He designs locks. He has 30 patents in his name. 30 patents in his name. Chuck has nine grandkids, three kids, nine grandkids. Know the Lord, love the Lord, serve the Lord. His brothers know the Lord. Their kids know the Lord. Their grandkids know the Lord. There's this huge godly legacy through the Moon family. It was a two-hour service today with a bunch of people with a last name Moon bragging about Jesus. How did all that happen? Because the love of God was being displayed through a teacher. This teacher that taught Chuck how to read, her name was Mrs. Langston. It meant so much to Chuck that throughout adulthood, when he still lived in California, on Saturdays after he finished men's Bible study, he went over to Mrs. Langston's house and visited her because he appreciated that investment that she made in his life to introduce him to Christ and to teach him to be able to know how to read. Guys, the love of God is powerful. The love of God is what leads us to Christ, and the love of God is what changes people's lives. So many people's lives were changed. Generations were changed and affected through a teacher, through a Christian school. For us to be moved by the Lord and take something out to unbelievers, and it's the love of God. You have something to offer an unbeliever, and that's the love of God. And what I have found in my life is the love of God becomes so much more alive in my heart and my life, becomes contagious in my heart and my life when I share it with somebody who doesn't know Christ. When I see the look on their eyes when they hear the truth of John 3.16, it just ignites me again of the amazingness of the love of God. The love of God is going to get stale and stagnant in our hearts and our lives if we don't give it away. Give it away. The more we try to just hold on to it and hoard it and play it safe, the more it's going to die inside of us. But the more that we share it, we share it with our families, we share it with our neighbors, we share it with everybody who comes in contact. Jesus said that what you do for the least of these, you do unto me. We can't separate a love for Jesus and a love for others. Because when we're serving others, we're serving Christ. Amen? So as we close tonight, let's go before the Lord and ask him that he would break us. Ask him that he would reveal to us where that lack of love is. So that it's not just a, another study. It's not just a little bit deeper understanding on what love is and what love isn't. But to say, Lord, search me and know me. Lord, I've tried so many times to be more loving, but the opposite just takes place. So God, I'm going to be broken before you, and I'm going to ask for a fresh filling of your Holy Spirit. The purpose of the Holy Spirit is to fill us so that we would be witnesses, to fill us so that we would be overflowing with the love of God. Church, I want you to hear me for just a moment. God has the capacity to heal marriages. He's going to heal marriages as we're broken before him and repentant before him. And we say, Lord, I'm choosing to follow you to walk in love. 
God can heal relationships with kids as we're broken before the Lord and say, God, forgive me for the times and the ways that I've treated my kids with a lack of love, with a lack of kindness. Lord, would you fill me with your supernatural love for them? God's going to move as we're broken before him for the lost souls, for those that don't know Christ as our Savior, for the moon families that are in our community (laughs) that don't know the Lord. And we say, Lord, you love them. Would you give me opportunity to be able to share the love love of Jesus Christ? He has the ability to do it as we're, we're broken before him, to heal, to restore, to cause our lives to be marked by love. People are not going to remember our sermons, but they're going to remember if we were a person of love or not. People are not going to remember things about our careers, but they're going to remember if we're a person of love or not. People are not going to remember our homes. Our homes will be dump heaps in the next generation, right? 50 years ago, how nice is our home going to be? They're not going to remember our homes, but they're going to remember if we were a person of love. Love never fails. Love endures. Love is that, that legacy. Let's stand together and let's pray. Father, in some ways, as we open your word, it's, it's a little bit scary how we can study it and read it and acknowledge it's true, but then not allow your word to have impact in our hearts and our lives. We don't want that to take place. So would you search us? Would you know us? Would you show us specifically in our hearts where our hearts have gotten hard, where our love has grown cold, Wait upon the Lord for a few moments and be broken before him. Just begin to confess that lack of love. Be specific before him. Allow the Holy Spirit to expose that selfishness. Jesus, we can't change ourselves, but we know that you can, that you're, you're able. So would you fill us afresh with the Holy Spirit? We want to understand what it is to walk in step with the Holy Spirit, to follow you, Jesus, and to express this love to our families, to our friends, to our coworkers, our neighbors, to a stranger, to a person that's in need. It is dark times, but we believe that your love will shine all the brighter. So we say yes to you, Holy Spirit. We do ask that our lives and our church would be marked by your love.